Welcome to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the different important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm joined by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Fellas, uh, it was a pretty big weekend of boxing. On a scale of one, one to ten, um, how would you rate this past week's bouts? I would give it a solid six to be honest um yeah i would say a solid six but it was good six is better than not having any boxing you know what i mean so i don't i don't say it to be a harsh critic but you know what i mean um there were some good fights for sure so i would say i, I would give it a solid six though i'm gonna be optimistic and i'll give it an eight um i had i i had to deal with the fact that i had higher expectations coming in and if if I would have came in yesterday with without any expectations, just wanting to see boxing, then we definitely you know got a lot of boxing this weekend. Yeah, I, I probably would give it about a seven, eight. You know what I mean? We had some really good fights. You had some interesting fights. You had a couple duds in there too, but I think overall it was around a seven, eight. Um, so this week we're going to pretty much. You know, the young folks say no cap. Well, our show today is going to be straight cap because we're going to recap five different bouts from this past weekend. And the first one we're going to kick off is that Miguel Burchette versus Oscar Valdez fight that took place on ESPN Saturday night. What did you guys think about that one? Well, uh, we didn't get the fight of the year like uh, I thought I was going to get. But we definitely got the knockout of the year. <laughs> if you haven't seen this knockout, go see it. <laughs> it it was vicious and and, and pretty scary actually. Um, but Miguel Burchelle, he came to this fight thirty seven and one with thirty three knockouts. Uh, he has wins over uh, Jason Sosa. Has two wins over Francisco Vargas. Um, he's pretty much one of the top players at one thirty. Uh, up against Oscar Val- Valdez, who was also a puncher at 28 and 0, uh, with 23 knockouts. Um, with a victory over Jason uh, Valdez was the, the pretty much the fight that I saw of him. Um, it was interesting because what I expected is not kind of what I got. Uh, Oscar Valdez, he came out, you know, jabbing and boxing, and moving, uh, showing that you know he's a better boxer than Miguel uh, Burchell. Uh, it was interesting to see, you know, especially the Oscar Valdez as the shorter guy who everyone thought was going to brawl, um, hit uh, hit Burchelle with you know these nice jabs, you know, with the short with shorter arms and, and neutralized Burchelle's, uh long arms. Um, he threw excellent jabs, uh, and and Burchelle just you know followed them them you know followed him around most of the fight. He looked. Brichelle also looked off. It looked like something was wrong. He didn't look like the Brichelle that I, that we, we normally see. You know, he his punches looked very flat. And for the first two to three rounds, I'm thinking like when this cake is gonna rise. I mean, it it's not much except Valdez is moving around, outboxing him and, and hurting him when he steps on it. So he is a so Valdez hurts Brichelle in the uh, fourth round. You know. Um, where he got where Brichelle had a standing eight, uh, and he hurt him again in the fifth. And Brichelle 
kind of you know show the fighting spirit in the seventh and start coming back. But it, it, his again his punches just seemed too flat. He seemed like he didn't have it in him. Uh, and Valdez uh, controlled much of the eighth and and uh, he got knocked down in the ninth and then he hit him with that left hook that he'd been hitting with all night. But Burchell basically walked into it and that was all she wrote. If you haven't seen his knockout, uh, see it. It was kind of scary. Um, for about 45 seconds, I started questioning my uh, my status as a boxing fan and my humanity as a boxing fan. Like, hmm, it's kind of vicious. But Rochelle, he looked like he was all right. Um, I hope that he's, you know, safe. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was – we got something last night when it, in regards to, to that fight. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a really good breakdown of what took place during the fight. Um, going into the fight, Brichelt was a forty-one favorite, and in retrospect, as I think about it, I wish we could have like done another podcast, like to do another prediction, because we all had um, Miguel Brichelt as a heavy favorite. But when I was looking before the fight this week, this is the first time I really actually had a chance to like listen to Valdez, uh, revisit some of his fights. And then they top rank did a really good job of laying this out before the fight actually took place. And you got more of Valdez's personality. And so what I noticed this week was just how confident he was going into this fight. And he was saying some things like he was upset at Burchelt because he wasn't giving him his respect and props for the work that he put in in the amateurs. And then also he talked about that, man, like I always just as a kid, I wanted that WBC belt. He was naming off guys like Morales and Barrera. Then other thing he was saying too, which I was like, man, this dude got some heart is the fact that now I knew that going in because some of the, the um, clips that I've seen of him before, but he was saying stuff like, you know, I can't watch some of those old classic fights after eight o'clock because I just can't get any sleep because I just be too hyped up and worked up. You know, so I'm like, man, this dude is like he one of them old school, old, old school soul type guys, you know. And then he also talked about how, you know, although Burchell had been knocked out before in his career, he said he never really faced any adversity or had to overcome any adversity. Now, before I'm thinking that. The stuff that he was facing, I'm like, it's because you're limited. That's the reason why you have to go through that adversity. But he's looking at it from the standpoint that I know I can go through that. Can he? You know, so I was that over my eyes up. Um, he was also mad um, at Brichelt because he said that Brichelt, you know, they, they were supposed to fight before and Brichelt tested positive. And he was like, man, this dude is up here. He said, I'm sitting up here taking all the precautionary measures I can take. And he's out here. At baseball games, he don't have a mask on. He's around these people. And he was like, that's the reason why the fight was, you know, postponed in the first place. So he was upset with him with that reckless behavior that he was um, exhibiting. Um, then the other thing I, I looked at, I looked at some of Burchell's fights before. And I saw him, you know, again, I still give him credit for what it is that I saw as far as that punching power. Um, he is the scorpion. You know what I mean? He got those funny type punches that he throws and they just powerful. And, you know, once he gets his engine going and revved up, it's hard for most opponents to be able to do anything with them when that actually happens. But I still have him favor, even though the only recognizable name that I saw on his resume was Jason Sosa. I still had him favorite going into the fight, but I was thinking in my mind that it 
probably is going to be a little a lot closer than what I was thinking because I really I thought that his physical size I thought he would be able to manhandle Valdez because he was the bigger um, guy but boy was I wrong now during the fight Bill you you broke it down uh, perfectly you know Valdez got off to that great start he was outclassing um, Burchell and then eventually got to the point where I mean the fourth round they could have stopped the fight then when he knocked him down Burchell, I now I see why guys like him wanted Burchell because he has a lot of holes in his game. And now check this out. I think that Valdez, now I'll get to that in a second. So and if he um, just has so much of a repertoire of punches that he was throwing. Really, Valdez, if you look at him, he looked like a little Canelo in a fight. Like I'm like, this dude like just a little you know, Canelo Alvarez out there. And so that, you know, you got to give credit to Eddie Reynosa for putting that game plan together and getting them prepared for that fight. But I think that he was getting Valdez prepared way before this fight. And this is what I wanted to say is this, is that is a smart dude. And Reynosa, thinking about how Canelo, right, because he's with Canelo also, right? That's his, his price. Canelo typically, when he has a big fight coming up, he prepares a couple fights before that big fight. Remember, I, I was mentioning how he would have fights with Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in preparation for Triple G because he's a poor man version of him. Now that he's getting prepared for like a Caleb Plant, he has this tune-up fight. Then he's going to start getting prepared with um, uh, what's his name. Billy Joe Saunders, right? Joe so he's Saunders. going to get prepared with Billy Joe Saunders. Then that should have him prep for Caleb Plant. Me, what when I was looking at um, Valdez in those fights leading up to this, because he really wasn't looking that good, is I think that they were working on things in that fight. For the last fight that he had against Valdez, when I was thinking, man, he's like in between styles. No, he was working on things that would help him for the Brichelle fight. And I think that he put it all together last night. And so, like I said, before the fight, I had Brichelle based on the strength and the size. But what Valdez to me proved yesterday was that with hard work and a great game plan that you can So, yeah, he had a great win yesterday. That was one for the ages. Shout out to both of you guys. You did a good job of a great job of breaking down the, the fight itself round by round. And um that was some good context, Will. Um I didn't I didn't uh watch all the clips in between that in terms of uh getting a sense of his personality. So um but you know the way that he fought yesterday kind of reinforces everything that you said. And it makes sense. And so, you know, and, and you talked about Reynoso. First of all, Assuming Canelo runs the table this year, you go ahead and give uh, Reynoso trainer of the year 2021 right now because that win already has him up there. He has Canelo on top of all his other fighters. Like, he's going to have a great year. And Ryan Garcia also. Right, right. So, like, like come on, man. It's not going to be fair. But, um, you know, salute to, to Valdez. He put on the career best performance in the biggest fight of his life. He was, he was prepared for it. Um, salute to, to Burchot also. Uh, he showed great heart, had a great chin. Um, 
I don't know if it was the inactivity or or the wars that caught up with him, but um, but yeah, he didn't look the same. But at the same time, maybe it is just a testament to how well prepared Valdez was. I don't know what it was, but you know, I I don't want to say anything that would take away from how great a victory it was. But um, apparently, uh, Burchell cleared protocol, and so you know he's he's good in terms of you know his hospital visit. Um, so, but shout out to both fighters for that, and and yeah, it was it was really a coming out party for Valdez, and his future is very bright at the super featherweight division. Speaking of which, um, you know he he got twenty twenty one off to a great start. Uh, how do you see his career in the near future playing out for now in the super featherweight division? Oh man, uh, Valdez, he is he's a player, man, and, and I. The three reasons why he's going to be tough to beat is the fact that, for one, he's tough. He, he has, like, just big kahunas, man. And, and um, you know, he has that old-school mentality. And so you're not – he's not going to beat himself. It's, you're going to have to beat that young man. Two, he has the mental capacity to be able to stick to his game plan. He has the discipline to be able to stick to his game plan throughout the course of a fight. And then the third and probably the most important thing is that he's smart. Like he's really, really smart. And like I say, being able to prepare a couple fights ahead of time for Bichelle, knowing all of the things that he can take advantage of uh, and being able to implement those things. And then, like I said, if you listen to him, the way he articulates himself, everything that he said that he was going to do, he basically did. You know, so for him, I think moving forward, like now, I don't know as far as a future plan. I, I thought like when I was seeing him against other guys, I didn't know he had power like that. Like I didn't know he had pop because he was clipping um Brichel and like like I said, his legs was just all over the place when he would tap him with that left hook. And so if he's carrying that power at one thirty like that, then he's gonna be a player in that division and he's going to be um, in any fight against any of those elite guys, you know, if I was those guys, I always try to set, you know, set a fight up with him. Like now, you know what I'm saying? Like fight him. Don't set it up for like, okay, we are negotiations. Then give him another fight. And then we fight then because he's going to be preparing for you. He's doing that Canelo, like what Canelo does. A lot of times guys don't know that they're about to fight him and he's already prepared for you. Then it's like, okay, let's sign this contract. So I wouldn't give him that advantage. But um, like right out the gate, what I would do if, if I were um, Valdez is I would probably wait for that Herring and Frampton fight and then go for the winner and get that WBO belt. Or he can go after Gutierrez. I think Gutierrez has another one of the belts as well. So one of those two guys, I would, you know, collect those belts first and then start prepping for maybe a Shakur or somebody else who could. He's, he's, he's the man now. So. He can wait for like those big fights and things like that because he took out the boogeyman. So he's the man in that division. Those guys have to come to him just to choose. But if I was him, like I said, I would go after those other belts. Yeah, to your point, I believe Gutierrez is the WBA regular champion, if I'm not mistaken. I believe Tank is a super champion. And that's not happening. We know that. Um, I feel like the most likely scenario there is that Tank vacates, ends up vacating that eventually and stays at 135. Um, I would probably agree that waiting for the Jamel Herring fight and going after that is probably the best one. 
Um, the IBF is vacant now, and so uh, I believe they already have a scheduled bout for that. Um, honestly, I, I forget the name of the people off top who are the guys who are going to be fighting for that one, but honestly, whoever wins that will be there whenever he's, you know, whatever Valdez, if and when he gets to the point where he wants to unify that, they'll be there. But, um, yeah, I will go after Herring. Um, I, I would say, regardless, the biggest fight and the one I would personally be the most excited for would be against Shakur, um, who was his mandatory, actually, at 126 before Valdez uh, moved up first. Um, they're both top ranked, and they're ranked number one and two, respectively, in the WBC. They've already called each other out, so um, that may happen first. But um, And that's not a bad fight because uh, Shakur is still – that would be like a huge step up for Shakur, so I would say – that's not a bad fight for Valdez to to do now. Um, but, yeah, if I were him, I would probably uh, see how that Herring fight plays out. But Herring is top rank also, so that's what I would do. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys. His career is bright. As many players in 130, um, and he can have a, a decent you know, two, three years if he plays his car right. Obviously, um, the best thing to do will be the best course of action will be the winner of the Herring and Frampton fight. Um, especially if Herring wins, you know, of course he's within house, but also Shakur Stevens is Stevenson is within in house. And that would be an interesting fight, but I think it's a bad fight for Valdez given how um, Stevenson fights and how good he, he actually is. Um, how high, in my opinion, I am on him. Um, but there's also, you know, if they decide to make fights with PBC, of course, it's, you know, you have Chris Colbert, um, you have those guys. And you also have uh, Tank Davis, who I think if Tank doesn't want to stay at 135 and test himself there you know, against those guys, I expect him to move back down and stay at 130 where, you know, he might look at uh, Oscar Valdez and go, maybe I can beat this guy. And that would be a, a, a big fight to make in – you don't, even, you don't even have to sell that fight. You can just title it. You just call it somebody's getting knocked out. Somebody's getting KO'd. And put it right on pay-per-view. I mean, or put it even on Showtime. It would, or whatever, whatever way you put it, this fight will be fireworks. Um, but there's also, uh, of course, I think uh, he'll probably face the winner of Jamel Herring and Carl uh, Frampton uh, next. Who did you say would, would be fireworks? Him and who? Tank Davis. I think him and Tank, that, that would be a, a great fight to watch. You can tie a lit. Somebody's getting KO'd. <laughs> and it was sad. Because, I mean, those are, they're two short guys. They're both built like tanks. You know, they both hit hard. Um, they they both – interesting that um, you had Tank Davis with pretty much the knockout of the year last year which is not wasn't too long ago, about three, four months ago. And then you have Valdez following the beginning of this year with a, a knockout of the year, which possibly could be, you know, and there you go. Knockout Kings. Yeah, that, that would be um, really, if, if everything lined up properly, that would be a good, good fight. You know what I mean? Like that would be the anticipation for that one be just as crazy as the anticipation for him and Brichel. And But I'm not picking against, Valdez anymore. Like I said, just based on what I, I've seen and that mentality that he has, like he he has that the right stuff. 
you know what I'm saying? So like I said, you're going to have to, it's not going to be a punch that's going to just put him out or anything like that. It's going to have to be more than that. I don't see anybody doing that. Time. I see him maybe getting stopped at some point, but he got that heart, man. He got that dog in him. And like I say, he's smart as I don't know what. So, but that'd be a great fight, man. And hopefully uh, everything works is, is, itself out and then they can go ahead and get the paperwork done if that's something that they both want to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, that'd be an interesting fight. And of course, I'll be very conscious of picking against Valdez after, you know, this. Uh, I like the guy's personality. He did well. He shut me up. And I'm pretty sure he shut a lot of people up. So uh, that's my, my public statement to him. <laughs> Um, so now that we, we talked about uh, Oscar Valdez, uh, where does Miguel Burchell go from here? I mean, he had a hard knockout, and um, he, man, like where does this guy go from here? I won't say, but so much to give you guys a chance to say what you you have to say. But um, I mean, I think it largely depends on who he is, what type of fighter he is after the damage he sustained in that fight. You know. Um, the Burchelt going into that fight was, and, and even the Burchelt that we would know, he still can be a champion at, at 130. Um, I think, you know, it was more of a testament to, again, how well how well that Valdez prepared. But, you know, I think the immediate future is he'll probably take a tune-up next. I did hear that he had some trouble making weight. Um, I don't know if, he, if there's any talks within that camp about him moving up. And I don't know how that would fare for him if he were to move up. Um, but I, I, I would imagine I, the safe bet, I think, would be for him to take a tune-up and then, um, you know, from there maybe get in some type of title eliminator and, and you know, within the next year, year and a half, you know, if he's the same fighter to, you know, still be in the running to capture another title. Yeah, my first thought was that maybe he should take some, you know, some time off, but he already was coming off, you know, a, a layoff, and we don't know if that affects him or not. Um, but he definitely looked worn in this fight. He looked like he needed some time. He looked just, I don't know, either something happened and he just didn't look the same. And it's hard to say whether he should retire or not because he's only 29. Even though he had a, a long career, he's an older 29. He's only 29. He still has – a few years left. Um, but so I, I really don't have an answer for that, but he definitely shouldn't, he definitely should take some, if he's going to fight again, he should take some, you know, lighter tune up fights before getting in there with a, a Oscar Valdez level type fighter. Yeah. I think he definitely needs some time off. He took a beat down yesterday. Uh, one thing you definitely it's tough, man. Cause I don't know if if that weight is a problem for him now, um, because like I said, he was doing a chicken noodle soup every time he was getting hit with that left by Valdez, and he's one of those guys that now again I I think highly of him, you know, based on what I was seeing over the years. But now that the aura of invincibility is gone. And that mystique is gone. There's a blueprint out there to beat him. And if he's struggling to make 130, he's not going to have the advantages that he had before at 130. And I don't like any of his chances at 135. He's not going to beat Lopez, Loma, Garcia, Haney, Comey, Luke Campbell, 
Linares. Nakatani, nah. <laughs> so really, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Uh, uh, it's looking a little bleak for my main member show, you know. And I didn't see that going into this fight, um, because I'm not even sure if his confidence can be the same after something like that. It's gonna take some while to build his confidence back up. But that's two knockout losses that he had. That right there was just brutal. Um, yeah, I think the best thing for him, if he's still able to make 130, it will probably be to um. Take some time off, come back, and then eventually, you know, maybe eight months off to a year, and then take a few tune-ups, and then get you somebody like a Gutierrez or something like that. But outside of that, I don't like his chances at 135. Um, but I hope I'm wrong, because I, I like uh, Miguel Bershaw. But moving on to the next topic, we got my main man, A.B., you know, you know, the can man. Um, the can man was in... A fight yesterday against Giovanni Santiago on Showtime. Um, it was the main event. What did you guys think about AB's performance last night? <laughs> we have Adrian Broner uh, coming in this fight, uh, thirty-three and four with twenty-four knockouts, um, coming off a uh, almost a, pretty much a two-year layoff after his loss to Manny Pacquiao. Um, of course, he's the one of the youngest four division champs. He has wins over uh, Paulie Malignaggi, and he's even had, I'll say, decent performances even against uh, Sean Porter, where he was able to, you know, put a dent in Porter's chin. You know, even though Porter pretty much controlled the fight and won. Um, it's uh, Joey Vani Santiago, who's fourteen and zero with uh, ten knockouts, uh, up and coming guy, which is interesting because him and uh, Adrian Broner, they're around the same age. Uh, it's, it's, this fight was interesting because, as you know, if you listen to our podcast, I picked Santiago to, to win this fight. Um, and even before this fight yesterday, I said if Broner is, is able to comfortably win this fight and dominate and, and show him that he's still AB, I will apologize publicly to him on the air uh, or this podcast. I can't do that. He, yeah, he got the, the, the victory in this fight, but th this was a fight that, man, he should have done better. It, it's, it's like the, the, the first half of this fight, it was almost like the ring rust was there, but still, as you guys said, you know, previously, Santiago wasn't really in Adrian Broner's class, so he shouldn't have had that much trouble. Uh, and Santiago was still, you know, giving him that work. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the first round, Adrian Broner didn't, you know, land any punches, um, especially considering that he's in the same camp with uh, Robert Easter, who we'll get to later. Um, but not not too much happened in the first half. I thought uh, Santiago was working him over a little bit. Second half, Adrian Broner came on. And he showed a little bit of flashes of, of himself. Um, and I, and when, when this fight was over, I, I pretty much thought that Santiago had won comfortably. Uh, when I scored the fight again, I had it 115-114 uh, for Santiago. So this was a close fight when you score it. Uh, but Santiago, you know, copying box numbers, he threw and, and landed twice as many punches as Broner. Broner landed the flashier punches. But um, I, I just was not impressed with either of them, but 
considering that Adrian Broner, the class that he is, and we'll get to that in a second, the, the type of fighter that he is looked at and supposed to be, is very disappointing to watch this fight. Um, it's a pretty good breakdown of the fight. Actually, I had it, um, like, I gave AB about maybe five, five and a half rounds, and then I gave Santiago maybe five rounds that I knew that he won. And then there was a couple rounds in there. I, either one really wasn't doing too much. And sometimes, because AB just was more talented than the other guy, so sometimes the fact that neither one of them was doing too much, even though the guy may have been throwing more punches, it just it was like some weak stuff that he was throwing just based on the fact of the level that he's at, you know. Um so I didn't I didn't think anything was egregious. I thought the scorecards, even if you you could have possibly scored it like a one sixteen to whatever. Be, it depends. Like if you gave A B those rounds that were even, then it would have been that wide of a margin. Um so I really it, it's it was hard to say. But you know, overall, just looking at his performance, you can tell that he was rusty. Um he was coming off a long layoff. It was Torres maybe like the sixth round or fifth round you can tell that he was tired and fatigued but he can play it off pretty good because he's been fighting you know elite level opposition so he knows how to play it off better than somebody like a santiago but i had him winning like it was it was a stretch where he won like three four rounds in a row and so i thought that that gave them a nine i didn't think that it was anything like i say egregious at all as far as the scorecards outside of if you're looking at it like too wide of a margin it should have been either a split decision or it should have been a lot closer. Now, one thing that I thought was bad was when the referee took a point away from Santiago when they both threw punches after the bail. I didn't think that that was fair. Um, but outside of that, A.B., he, he's getting off a little rain rust for him. The best thing for him is to jump right back at it and then, you know, find somebody like an Ivan Redcat um, opponent like that. But the only problem with him is the fact that if you give him somebody he can't get up for, then he's going to look like that. If you give him somebody who is a little bit better, then he may not be good enough to beat them. So I don't know as as his uh, promoter what, what it is that you do. But I thought it was just a, a fight for him to get off some of his rush, though. I don't really have a whole lot to say other than what you guys said. Um, you know, he he looked like, like A.B. and – the fact that the matter is rusty or not, um, for what I have seen since probably 2013, maybe, um, AB, the, the 140 pound and the 147 pound division version of AB, um, is not the same fighter that he was at 135. And so, um, he's going to keep coming across this as he continues to, you know, fight if he continues to fight. Um, not to get too deep in the next topic, but but yeah, I mean, going off of this fight, uh, he looks not dissimilar to what I'm used to seeing. Yeah, I'll just leave it there, and we can go into the next topic, which is what what is the next step for 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 Adrian Broner? Definitely, he needs another fight, just a little bit tougher than what he faced. Um, he was lucky he didn't face anybody tougher yesterday because that would have ended up bad for. Oh, A.B. But 
like I said, I would go after somebody like Ivan Red Cash um, next. And in that fight, I would probably try to do like a catch weight, maybe a 144 or something like that. Um, he's definitely not going to do well at 147. If you look at those those guns up there, Spence, Thurman, Garcia, um, Pacquiao already um, touched him up. Uh, Ugas, uh, Porter already beat him. So he's he's not like physically. He just can't compete with those guys, and they're just going to be too much. Now, then when I look at 140, I don't see him faring well there either because of the fact of his lack of production, you know, in terms of punch output. Those guys at the top, they throw too many punches, and even on a bad day for them, they are going to outwork AB. He's not going to beat Ramirez. Ramirez throws way too many punches. Josh Taylor throws too many punches. Um, Regis Porgray. He he's too powerful, and he throws a lot of punches. He gets a little tired too, but I don't think AB will be able to take advantage of it. AB, AB to me is similar to Hector Camacho in this sense. When we talked about Vail, we had that episode. We did the left-handers, and I was saying how once um, Chavez was in that fight against El Chapo, like he wasn't the same anymore. I think that holds true for AB when he fought Madonna. Um, in that fight, I think he sustained a lot of punishment. And there was a couple times in that fight where he was he got caught in exchanges. And typically, when that happens to a guy, like either they get dropped or they get severely um, punished, they're not the same. And they don't want, and that's where sometimes you get your, most of your knockouts or you get most of your knockdowns is when you're in an exchange with somebody and you land first. They don't see the punch coming and it does a tremendous amount of damage to the opponent. He's not willing to do that anymore. And that's why he often appears to like just sit there and um, he just the lack of production, like I say, is because he he's kind of like subconsciously he's afraid that that is going to happen to him again. What happened to him in that Madonna fight? And so, like I said, that's that's why I said that's the connection or the correlation between him and Hector Camacho to me, because I haven't seen him be the same ever since that fight. But to answer your question, I would say a fight like Ivan Redcast should be next. And then AB just going to have to work his tail off and he's going to have to take one of those fights against a Ramirez, against a Taylor. Now, as far as the skill, he does have enough to be able to, to beat those guys, like as far as skill. But he doesn't have the discipline at this point, and I don't know if he ever will if he doesn't have, hasn't shown it. And he doesn't have the um, like discipline outside of the ring. And so that may catch up to him. But I support AB, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I listen to him now, it seems like he's owning up to a lot of things that he's done that kind of contributed to where his career is now. And so hopefully he continues to grow, and then that will enable him to, like, you know, you can look at him differently towards the tail of his end of his career. And you can say, oh, man, A.B. turned it around. He really is, you know, one of those top fighters and he proved me wrong or whatever. So I just hope A.B. continues to get it together and, you know, just ride off into the sunset after like a victory over one of those upper echelon guys at 140. Yeah. Um, first off, before, you know, speaking on his boxing career, um, like you said, well, I want to give him a shout out because. Um, and I mentioned it 
when we were doing the predictions, but, you know, he was in a bad place emotionally. And he seems to have come out of that and seems to have come to terms with what got him to where to where he was. And so um, I hope that – and then on top of that, you know, he had the lawsuits and everything, and, you know, he still owes money from those things apparently. So I'm hoping that um, above any other next step for boxing, I hope that, you know, he can continue to work to – use leverage whatever he, he can leverage whether it's boxing or whether it's some kind of investment or whatever to make sure that he and his family can have a long you know have a long and, and, and good life and so um you know what that said he originally said going into this fight that he wanted to have three fights this year and compete for a world title i would personally i'm not gonna try to condemn that um, I'm not the type of person that if somebody says they want to do something, like you can't do that. But if he were not to make it to the world title level again, um, I would not be super surprised. I'll just say that. Um, but with that said, I do think the, the short answer, I guess, would be it would be I, I think 140 would be the ideal weight class for him. Um, the reason I say that is because, well, you said he has the skill, but not the discipline. Um it takes discipline to get down to a weight class that your body may be uncomfortable with now. And so if that's one thing he can work on, like just for the mental, and, and, you know, his weight is better now. And so, you know, for the sake of mentally getting down there, um, I think it would be good for him to work towards 140. Um, I, I do think the idea of fighting at a 144 catch weight would be a good way on the way down there. And then maybe his third fight this year um, could be at 140 against someone kind of, mid-tier in that top 10 list and really see where his skill level lies but um i think that would be the immediate thing but but i, I hope that uh overall honestly i hope he just continues to grow as a person because you know something some things you know especially when you're going through things sometimes it's just bigger than boxing so i wish that man well yeah so y'all both brought up some some excellent points so where does broner agent broner go from here the short answer is wherever he wants to go he's still a big name he can do pretty much whatever he wants to do. Um, but there's a different difference between what he should do and what he's probably going to do. Um, like you said, Danny, Danny, uh, Danny, we can't just tell him what he, sh- he should do. But in my opinion, I think 140 is, is a, a great weight class for him. Because um, th- because then you have to factor in guys possibly coming up in the next few years it'll be guys from 135 moving up there where agent broner would have a you know uh power and size advantage and he probably would have a, a speed advantage so it'd be interesting if he did decide to end his career at 140 and i think it's possible we saw uh zab judah do the same thing you know he went back down to 140 at the tail end of his career now granted uh zab judah always stays close to weight he's you know he even even though there's always been people of the opinion that, you know, Zab Judah, you know, was undisciplined or he didn't train as hard, he was never really a, the type of guy that walked around overweight, you know, between fights. So it was, that opportunity was more afforded to him to move back down to 140 when 147 started to get, you know, too hot. But Adrian Broner, I think that's, a you know, he, he still has those combinations. If he rededicates himself like he says he wants to do, he can still – uh, be something at 140 and, and in his career on a, on a higher uh, uh, note. Um, but who knows? He's 31 years old and 
one thing I do know, you can't when when God gives you take them for granted and then decide like I'm gonna use them when I feel like using them. You know, sometimes it can be too late. You know, sometimes uh, it, it, it's over. And I hope that isn't true with with Broner. He's still a young guy. He still has uh, loads of talents, but he needs to stay focused and stay in the gym. And you know. I, if I were him, I would probably even change trainers and, and, and get a different trainer, you know, in his career with a, a trainer is going to help him rededicate himself. Um, but that's pretty much it. Uh, any you guys have anything else to add to the A.B. saga about billions? No, I just I just want to shout uh, A.B. out, man. That's that's a good hard earned victory over a class D fighter, though, bro. You know, congratulations. Now. Now, next on the list, uh, we have a stable mate, um, Robert Easter Jr. Uh, he had a, uh, a, a fight yesterday, last night, against uh, Ryan Martin. Uh, do you guys uh, check out that fight? If you did, what, what were your thoughts on it? I did see it. Um, I thought it was a good showing overall for Easter. Um, just to kind of give a breakdown, Easter is 23-1-1, 14 knockouts. Martin is 24 and 2, 14 knockouts also. Um, I have been following Easter for a few years, probably since his Comey win in uh, 2016. And, you know, I feel like he had an overall successful run, overall successful run at lightweight, but, uh, but he was frustrating to watch sometimes because I feel like he didn't – the man is 5'11 with the 76-inch reach, and I felt like he didn't use his physical attributes the way that he could have. And so this was the first fight from memory that I saw where I saw him use his length and establish range. And so I was, I was excited to see that because, you know, it, it was almost like, you know, he's been around for a while, but it was almost like he, he started at, at 140 pounds. He's starting to actualize his potential as a fighter. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to go round by round, but when he, when he established that range and, and used his length, he was pretty dominant. Now there were a few spots where he seemed to forget and just kind of like lost concentration and traded on the inside a bit. And that didn't go well for him. But, um, but I thought it was a good overall performance for him. I personally scored at 118 to 110. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know what his future holds at 140, but, but I'm, I was happy to see him use those particular tools that I've been wanting to see him use for so long. Yes, Danny, you summed up exactly what I saw yesterday. Um, and pretty much what I was going to say, I loved what I saw from Robert Easter yesterday. Um, I'm like, where has this Robert Easter been? Because the fighter I saw yesterday, I was like, whoa. I mean, he was using his jab. He was moving. I mean, he was making – he was frustrating Martin and making a miss and and ducking his way out of punches. Even with his long length, he was ducking his way out of punches. It, it was kind of a pretty good – one of the best performances I saw from Robert Easter. And it's, you know, more dedicated – you know, he's at 140. He's at a weight class where he still has, he, you know, his advantages. He still has a, a high advantage and length advantage. He has that long reach. And I saw him pretty much use that yesterday. And it, and it, it, it was interesting watching this fight and then watching, you know, the Agent Broner fight. And Easter is just, you know, that's an example of someone who pretty much we dedicating themselves to what they do and trying to, to better themselves and make themselves a better fighter. I mean, it, this was just, it was a beautiful performance. I'm excited to see what, 
go from from here on out what Robert Easton Jr. does because he's in a you know a pretty good division. Um, it's some top names over there. It's it's a division he could actually win a belt in. I can see him becoming a champion. And again, just like with uh, what I said previously, you have guys in 135 that might want to test their themselves at 140. And Robert Easter is one of those names that you can look at and say, oh, well, he lost to Robert to uh, Mikey Garcia. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll take my chance against him. Maybe he's a fighter I can beat. And they might be surprised. I mean, I, I like what I saw. Uh, from Robert Easter Jr. and I and I, I just want to see more. Yeah, that's that's pretty much. You guys summed up um, what happened throughout the bout. Like Easter, when he threw his jab and he controlled the distance, he he looks pretty good. But there are other as um, facets of the fight or of a fight that you know he's susceptible in. Um, but pre fight, let me go back a little bit. You know, Easter he holds victories over Colmay. Fortuna and Adrian Ganatos. I think that was his last fight. But he was coming into this fight after a pretty long, lengthy layoff. And he also has a draw with Rancis Bartholomew. Now you said that Easter is twenty three and one and one. He could be twenty one and like three, really, to be honest with you, because when I looked at that Fortuna fight, I thought that he may have not won that fight and that Comey fight was close as well. And Bartholomew could have been a loss. Uh, and Mikey Garcia was putting them paws on him. Now, um, Easter's good. He's a real solid fighter. Uh, but I don't really like him against some of those other champions because he likes to exchange a little bit too much. I don't think it ought to fare well against Ramirez. I think Josh Taylor punished that body. I think that uh, Regis Progress. I just think those guys just a little bit too much for Easter. But I, I like him as a fighter and he has a chance against those guys just based on his physical attributes. Um, Martin on the other end, you know, coming into this fight, he had the one loss against Josh Taylor and he froze up in that fight. If you ever, if you haven't seen that fight, if you just look at the highlights, he basically didn't throw punches at all. Maybe like once he got hurt towards the end of the fight, he started throwing something, but really he was, I'm talking about, you think AD had a low punch output. Like against Josh Taylor, I'm saying literally he was not throwing anything, just taking a punch to the body, to the head, and just getting uh, swole up. Um, he also, but he has a win over Bredis Prescott, but that's nothing to, you know, write home about because Bredis Prescott got about 18, 19 losses now. So, you know, um, he just doesn't throw his hands. The tougher the opposition, the less likely he is to let it. You know, Martin is, is kind of limited. But one thing that he's going to have to do moving forward it's he needs a new trainer, man. If he was listening to some of the stuff that his trainer was saying, like round by round when they would go to his corner, like he was not giving any constructive advice at all. Like, come on, man, tell him something. He was getting mad at him, but he wasn't telling him how to correct the mistakes. And I'm like, come on, man, like, dude, get somebody else. You know what I mean? You ain't got to get an Eddie Reynoso, but just get somebody who's going to give you some constructive advice but overall good win for easter um and i'd like to see where he goes from here all right and another fight that took place um, over in the uk on on the zone app was a fighter out of russia named david avanison versus josh kelly out of the uk you guys take a look at that one 
Yeah, I checked this fight out. Um, it was interesting to watch. Uh, we had David Avenizan coming in the fight. He was 26-3 and three with 14 uh, knockouts. Uh, he, you know, went over uh, a very old Shane Mosley. Um, but also, he, you know, he has losses to uh, Lamont Peterson and uh, um, uh, Me Machine, where he was stopped in that fight. Uh, he's in a fight with Josh Kelly. Uh, 10 wins, no losses, and six knockouts coming into the fight. This this fight, I just have to say this. I mean, if you're going to fight with your hands down, at least don't get hit and leave, at least have decent defense, be defensively, be defensively responsible. Don't get tired and, and, and don't get hit. I mean, it's just Josh Kelly, it was an interesting fight. I mean, he came, he, he, he came in this fight. He was uh, peppering Avenizian with, with jabs and, and moving around with it. You know, it was interesting because his hands was at it, you know, at the midsection for a little bit for the first couple of rounds. And then started dropping and dropping as time went on. And it, and it makes you wonder if, you know, if he's having, you know, stamina issues or, or trying to make weight. Um, because that kind of factor in how it ended also. But them hands just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And Avenizan, uh, his it was interesting because his hands was up the whole time. David Avenizan, he, he he fought with the high guard. Um, he was trying to follow uh, Kelly around the ring and then hit him with counters. And and they started getting through as the as the fight was going on around maybe the fourth round. Um, Kelly was still kind of you know scoring and winning, but. Uh, Avenizan, you can see, you can see he was tracking him down, and Kelly was bleeding. Um, he had a nasty cut. I think it was on his brow. It looked like it was coming from his ear. It was weird. Um, but the sixth round, Avenizan, uh, he caught up to him and, and caught him with some some shots on the inside uh, around the ear. Um, and we saw uh, Josh Kelly was hurt. Um, he, he was hurt twice in that round. Um, but it was interesting. I didn't think the fight was over at that point. I knew it was going to end, but and, but I didn't think that the corner would throw the towel in early. So it makes me think that maybe they knew something was up with uh, Josh Kelly coming in the fight, or they saw something that was going on with him. Maybe his equilibrium was off because um, they, they quickly threw that towel when he was hurt the second time. And, and I think he might have, it's possible he could have made it through that round. But it was funny to watch, though, you know, and, and props to Josh Kelly, you know. I mean, he came in a fight. He fought a tough fight, you know, a spirited fight. But, I mean, you can't fight with your hands down and get hit. <laughs> so, no, you don't like Josh Kelly, right? You got something against him? No, I don't, I don't have anything against Josh Kelly. Um, it, it was just interesting to watch. I mean, I have zero feelings about Josh Kelly. And, you know, I don't have – anything for or against them. Oh, okay. I was wondering, you saying that they shouldn't have stopped the fight like that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying that he should have been hurt or something like that. It just seemed like it, it he, I mean, he was hurt, but he was, he, he was done, Val. Let me, let me go ahead and get a little. Um, now with Kelly, you know, before the fight started pre-fight, right? So I've heard of Josh Kelly before. You know, I really never watched any of his fights. But, you know, the U.K., they got a lot of Joshes out right now. You know, Warrington, they got Taylor, they got Kelly. So I was getting them mixed up when, you know, and I was hearing his name in U.K. groups. But 
I didn't know I was associating him with the other Joshes. So I really wasn't really paying attention to him until this week. So when the fight, I knew that it was made. Then I started looking at highlights. And then I look, I'm like, he's 10 and 1. I mean, he's 10 and 0. And so then I started looking at his highlights. So the two fights that stuck out to me was the one with Ray Robinson, where he was doing the same thing that he typically does, like had his hands down and just Robinson is not a puncher. So he really wasn't taking advantage of it. I thought he didn't, I didn't think he won that fight. And so that's what um, was confusing. I'm scratching my head. Like, why are they rushing to put him in against David Avenisa? Not that he's the great, he's a world-class fighter though. Like, why, what are you doing? And so the other fight that uh, stood out was he was doing his thing, his little one-two where he would have his hands down being real flashy and flamboyant. Um, but it was against a guy who looked like he just left like a skateboard park or something like that. You know what I mean? Like a, a skate park, like he, he just got off his skateboard and then he got in the ring. Like that's how the guy looked, literally. And so still, I couldn't think. I'm, I'm like, am I missing something? So then I started looking at Avenis. I'm like, did he, you know, like does he not look like he did the last time I saw him fight? You know, I know he had the KO loss to uh, Kavalaskis, but he did look pretty good, like pretty solid in some of his other fights, you know, leading up to this fight. So I'm like, what am I missing here? And so I guess I just didn't see it. I didn't see the skills that would suggest that you fast track that guy into a fight like this against a European title holder. You know what I mean? Like it's just a little, so it was just too early. Now, again, like Kelly at his best, he looks like a poor man version. If he can like put all of these guys together, like he looks like a poor man. I'm talking about when he's at his best, like we're seeing him doing this thing. Like a poor man's like Caleb Plant, Sergio Martinez-ish, Vinny Pazienza-ish, Dana Rosenblatt, and Jeff Horn. Like if you could combine all of those guys, but a very poor man's version of all of those guys. Right? So that's what I saw going into the fight. Now, during the fight, I, Kelly surprised me. Like the first two, three rounds, cold. Like, he was out there showing that speed. He was, like, way bigger than Avenison. Um, Fast, sharp, nice combos, nice jab. He was slipping, making Avenison miss. And then he was landing some main body shots, like the first two, three rounds. And I think he really hurt Avenison in that second round. And um, But, you know, towards the end, Avenison started applying more pressure. By the time you got to round four, I noticed in a corner, like you can hear him breathing, like you can hear it. And so, and then around that same time, he started doing that same thing. Like first he was being more defensively responsible um, when he was throwing his combination and punches and stuff like that. But then once he got tired, he started to do the same thing when he put his hands down and things like that. Now he doesn't have the punching power, the chin and the stamina to be doing that type of stuff. Like he's just really too, uh, charismatic for his own good at this particular point in his career um so round five comes around i, I noticed that he was like considerably slowing down that fight avenison he started building up ahead of steam and then kelly was getting caught a little bit more by the time they made the round five like the end of round five like kelly damn then needed the oxygen tank in this corner man like he was heavy and so around about i don't know like if you're watching the fight Take a little a look at like around, I think it was like 150. Avenison caught him with a left hook and it hurt him, but you wouldn't have noticed that he tied him up a little bit. But then after that, he hit him 
um, with some more punches that made matters worse. And then Abby started catching them on a regular basis. You know, after that, then Kelly's stamina, he was done. He Like a combination put him down. And then Kelly got up. But then, like you said, Phil, um, he threw a couple more punches than the corner stopped. I thought that it was a good stoppage from his corner because of the fact he's so young and you want to let him live the fight another day. But I just thought it was too soon for him to be in there with a guy like that. The other thing that I want to mention, he has a trainer that I think it's Adam Booth, I think. And Adam Booth has a lot of guys who have those issues with their stamina. And so I don't know if he wants to get, I don't know if, if that's just something that is going to be a problem for him just in general moving forward because he gets really tired. I'm talking about it, it, Josh Kelly would be a top pound for pound fighter if he only had to fight three rounds. Like he'd be really good if, if that was all he had to do. But after that, it's a wrap. You know, and anybody who has some type of power, anybody who's like a world-class fighter who can just sustain and and um, hang in there, they're going to have their way with them after about four or five rounds. So I don't know if he's, you know, got to get some type of coach or something like that to build up his stamina. But, you know, I don't know. But I think the last thing I'm going to say in conclusion is I would advise him to get this song, uh, put it on his playlist, it's a song in 1982 by uh, um artist named Junior. And he had a song that was called Take Your Time, Young Man. Mama used to say, <laughs> Don't you rush to get old. So he, <laughs> he tried to rush it uh, too soon. And, um, you know, it bit him in the butt. So hopefully he can go back to the drawing board, work on a few things, mainly that stamina. And we'll see um, how things play out for him in the future. So the last fight that we had was a heavyweight fight, Dominic Brazil versus Otto Wellin. Um, how did you guys like that one? If you saw? <laughs> oh, man. I'll say this. You want to start? No, I'll do it. I'll do it. Oh, man. Um, when I saw this fight, I, I started thinking of this interview. Cause I, one thing I like to do in my spare time <laughs> Especially at nighttime, was watch you know boxing. Funny is boxing post fight interviews, and one I, that I, I normally see all the, a lot is is a uh, one with James Tony, and they asked him an opinion about a fight that was on the same car as him with uh, Chris Bird. He was and Jim, it was Jim with Jim Gray. And Jim Gray was like, "Do you see that fight with Chris Bird?" And he's like, "Jim, man, I fell asleep." <laughs> it's so funny. I, I laugh every time, and I said to say. And when I saw this fight, oh, man, um, they should put heavyweight fights like this at the beginning of the, of the, of the telecast, not in the middle. It's hard to watch a fight like um, a Robert Easter fight, which is at like light welterweight where he's throwing these beautiful punches and then go to another fight where. You know, you have Dominic Brazil is throwing these punches are so slow. I could time it and it's like a half second. And and I don't have anything against Dominic Brazil. You know, I, I felt bad for him after that <laughs> knockout with uh um Deontay Wilder. So I, I was I was, you know, root for coming in this fight, but watching, you know, how slow he was, it was just like, wow, man, it's maybe maybe it's you know, watching the smaller guys and I was switching back and forth, you know between that and the uh, ESPN telecast. Um, but 
Alo Walin, he he controlled the fight. He was using his jabs and uh, using fast combinations. Um, Dom Brazil just didn't have uh, enough speed for him, and I think I think Brazil just needs. I th- I think he's actually when I've seen Brazil fight before, he came off a little better in that, and I think he maybe it's something going on. Maybe he needs to change uh, trainers or whatever distractions is going on, but. Um, it was a good win by by Wallen. I was surprised he didn't, you know, go for the stoppage uh, against Brazil. Um, but but you know, it was an interesting fight. Um, I didn't necessarily. It's one of those things. Maybe maybe I'm biased. I don't necessarily like watching heavyweight fights in this era unless they're going to throw a lot, lots of punches. Is it, it's just like they throw like ten punches and they're like tired already. And this fight, it was just. Hard to watch, very hard to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, um, Phil. I'm glad you decided to go first on that one because um, it was hard to think of something. You know how they say, if you can't think of anything positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take the weight. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was a tough one to, to look at because and, well, I, I'll build on some of the things that you, you discussed. And one thing, I think Brazil – he was coming off a long layoff. I think that was the first fight that he had since the Wilder fight. And then also he's taken two brutal knockout losses. So, and he's 35. So you couple all of those things together and you you got what you had yesterday. You know what I mean? Somebody whose timing was off. They wasn't um, really like, I, I don't know if he was, wasn't in fight shape or, or whatever, but one thing that the glaring thing that you saw with Brazil is that how slow he is. Like he's telegraphing. I'm talking about everything is really slow. It's like they've had him in slow motion. He's the only guy who I think that can make Joe Joyce look like Mildred Taylor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Wilder was just way too quick for him. Um, but I think the last thing I said, they moved for Brazil probably just needs to let it go. And therefore, Waleen, he, if if the fight between Joyce and Usyk is a May, I think that would be a good fight for him against um, you know, somebody like Joe Joyce. Or he's on the same level to me as like a Huey Fury as well. So those are two fights that I, I would like to see him go after next. But he has some skills. You know, I don't think that he would be able to beat some of the upper echelon guys like a. Um, Fury, if he's like really prepared for him and taking him serious, and I don't think he can be like a Joshua, any of the, the top guys. I don't think that he he's just a cut underneath those guys. But it was a good win for him. Yeah, this was a fight uh, with two guys that are mostly known for their losses more so than their wins. You know, um, uh, the, the, they have three losses between the the two of them going into the fight. Uh, Brazil's losses were to AJ and Wilder. And Waleen's loss was the Fury, you know. And so, um, you know, that said, uh, Waleen, he showed me in this fight, for whatever it's worth, that, um, you know, he's a better fighter than he gets credit for, you know, as a guy that's known mostly for the loss that he's taken. Um, I I will salute Brazil, Brazil because he, he, he had a little bit of success in, like, some tiny pockets, but he took a lot of punishment, but he still hung in there. Um, I, I do think that despite him hanging in there, um, I, 
I, I think that is sort of a testament to the fact that Waleen didn't seem to have a killer instinct in that fight. Um, he probably could have got him out of there, uh, but he didn't. I, I personally scored at 117-111. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree, though, that a fight like that should probably be one of the earlier fights, especially if you're watching a whole card and, you know, that, that's that's something I would I would have preferred to to empty my dishwasher <laughs> while while it's like playing in the background, you feel me? But uh but you know Yeah, it, anything else you, know, you guys I, got I on your chest have, that you want to get off? I wish them success in it. So that's all I got. No, nah, I think I got it all out today. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good weekend of boxing though, to be honest with you. Uh, I think next week got Canelo, huh? Yes sir. It's another fight too. Keyshawn Davis too out of Norfolk. Shout out to shout out to Keyshawn. Another fight. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 it's correct. Caron Davis versus uh, Anthony Durrell, yeah. So, yeah, man, just make sure y'all catch this on YouTube. We got the different segments of the podcast, <laughs> you know, search last ones at the bar. Make sure you hit the like button. Don't be a hater, man. Just hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, you know, get all the notifications for whatever it is that we drop on there. Also, you can catch us on Twitter. I was following along. Um with Danny as he was doing a superb job of keeping everybody updated with the round by round breakdown. You know, I really, to be honest with you, you don't even have to watch the fight. Like if you don't have like cable or something like that, just check his breakdowns out. And again, don't be a hater on there. Hit the like button or whatever it is on there. I'm not a Twitter guy, but you know, whatever it is that you can indicate your support for the page, just go ahead and do that. But on that note, we out enjoy your week and we'll catch you next week. Peace.